I'm Erin Barnes, and this is Inside College Admissions, a podcast presented by SCORE. On today's episode, strategic advisor to SCORE, Peter Van Buskirk, sits down with Ellen Dietrich, the Director of College Counseling at the Hill School. Their conversation will touch on all things early application and aim to provide some answers to common questions for students who are considering applying early. Without further ado, I'll hand it over to Peter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside College Admission. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and I'm joined today by Ellen Dietrich, who is the Director of College Counseling at the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you, Peter. It's good to have you with us, and this is a great time of the year to have a conversation with a college advisor in particular because school starts, and more than school starting, we've got really the beginning of the college application process. Uh, Are you feeling any kind of uh, pressures yet from from your seniors to uh, get applications out? Not necessarily to get applications out, but we are getting a lot of requests to read essays and to have meetings and sort of get it all started. Um, so, you know, we really encourage our students to do a lot over the summer to write their essays and, and things like that. And a lot of them do, but I would say the last two weeks of August, they really all remember that we're here. <laughs> and, and so they, they, we get a lot of requests to review and, and, uh, to meet with them, which is great. So, so you are feeling some anxiety from your students then as uh, the year gets started. And this is, this is, uh, I guess a rather unusual year too, because we're on the, uh, he, I was going to say the heels of COVID, but we're in the midst of COVID still. So you've got mm-hmm. kids who have been largely dislocated from the academic and educational process for the last year and a half, which means that their connection with you now is even more meaningful. Do you find that, that a lot of kids were pretty faithful to the process over the summer in terms of working on their lists and getting focused on places to which they would apply? Yes, I think in part because you're right, we are sort of back into it, but there was a time in there when um, some colleges were opening up and accepting visitors. So a lot of our students actually were able to get out this summer. And even if they couldn't do an official visit, they were able to see campuses and put their eyes on, on what it looks like. Whereas last year's class was not really able to do that to the same extent. So we'll see how that goes this fall in terms of whether they'll be able to go and, and visit campuses. We are allowing students to go by every campus is rightly so protecting their own students and coming up with their own policies. So, uh, you know, I think that one of the gifts of COVID, if you will, for, for last year's class was that because they couldn't go out and visit colleges, they actually did a lot more research on the front end of their processes. Whereas in most years, you'll have kids say, well, my, you know, my, my brother went to that school or my cousin went there, or I know of that school, I'm going to go visit. And then they sort of look at the, the details of what each campus offers on the back end. Whereas this past year, it was really reversed. And I think that was a gift because our students were able to really be very thoughtful and very intentional in their choices. And in the end, our students did extremely well in terms of their college acceptances. So they were very happy. This year, we'll see how the the fall plays out. Um, I think to our students, what they'd really like to do is get out and visit campuses. They definitely use the summer to do some essay work, some SAT prep if they're gonna test, things like that. But I think this fall, they're, they're hoping to get out and see campuses when campuses are back in session if possible. Well, that would be great. And let's just hope that, that COVID 
stays calm mm -hmm. and and uh, <laughs> that uh, through all the, the right kind of health measures that that uh, people stay healthy and and are able to see colleges one of the things that that strikes me about the early part of the fall with students in the application process is there's a lot of energy for my first choice school my dream school getting things done by certain early deadlines and and i think it would be helpful maybe at the outset here just for our listeners to kind of reframe our understanding of what some of the early options are for students as they look at colleges. So uh, if you can uh, maybe first talk a little bit about early decision, what, what's that all about? Sure. There are different ways of applying to colleges and there's early decision, early action, there's single choice early action, there's rolling, there's um, probably some, Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And so, you know, I, I think before you sort of decide or before student decides, how they want to apply, they need to really look at when am I best ready to apply? When am I going to be able to put my best self forward? For some students, that could be early on. So if they apply early decision, which usually has a uh, November 1 or November 15th deadline, there's also an early decision two round, which gives you a little bit more time with deadlines in January. But that is a binding process. If you apply there, you are accepted, you have to attend. You, the student signs off on that, the parent signs off on that, and the college counselor signs off on that. And so it really is, a, you know, sort of a, a going into this with your eyes open that if this works, this is where I, I will go. The advantage to early decision is that you apply early in November and you will hear mid-December. And so it could be that your process is complete and you've been accepted and, and you can enjoy the rest of your senior year. The challenge with early decision has become that it, it weighs a lot to most schools in the admissions process. So what, what do I mean by that? I'll, I'll give you a good example of one, one institution where they, they know they're going to get students in the early decision round. So they really look at those students that they're taking and saying, okay, this student is saying we are their number one choice. So what does that mean to us? We're going to get this student. Are they qualified to be admitted, number one? Number two, what sort of institutional priority might they meet for us? We're trying to build our art history program, and this student wants to be an art history major. Do they play an instrument that we need in the marching band? Is this a recruited athlete at some schools? Is this a special interest case uh, for the school, I meaning a development case or some sort of uh, legacy or, or relation to the school that's been previously established, right? Those are all things they're going to look at. And so for some schools, there is a real advantage for applying early decision. For those schools that track what we call demonstrated interest, meaning how many times do you visit campus? How many programs have you been involved in? How, did you meet with the rep when they came to your school? All sorts of things like that. The more you show them the interest, the better your chances of, of being admitted. We are in it located about an hour outside of Philadelphia, and there are some schools within an hour of us that very much track demonstrated interests. So if you don't visit those schools, no matter how well qualified you are, you're not going to be admitted because they don't think you're going to come. So demonstrated interest is important. And one way, the best way of demonstrating interest is, is applying early decision, right? Whether it's one or two, they, they're gonna count the same. But when you apply early decision and you, you send your materials, they're really looking at your profile through junior year. 
They're looking a little bit at your senior year. What are you taking? They're going to want to see some first quarter or first trimester grades, but they're really basing their decision in terms of whether you are academically admissible on your profile through the junior year. If an early decision school is a far reach school for you to be admitted to, meaning you do not fit into that middle 50% of their average scores, average GPA, things like that, um, it may behoove you to wait until early decision two or even a regular round because you will have more to offer. You might have more testing during the senior year. You might have, you'll have more achievement in the classroom. You may have assumed a leadership position in your school that you can then speak to that experience a little bit later on in your process. So there's a lot of pressure out there to apply early decision, early decision. If you ask colleges and they have early decision, most of them will tell you apply in that way. You have your best chance there but you really have to look at your own profile and what you are offering. What do you say to the student who says, we've been looking at colleges and, and it's time to apply. I need to find an early decision school. <laughs> yes, I love that question, right? Yeah. Because students do think that they have to apply early decision and they don't. So when a student comes to us with that, we, we sort of take a step back and say, let's talk about what you're looking for in a college. What matters to you? What, what do you want to major in if you know? And if you don't know, what are other things that are important to you? Like what kind of student body is it? What's, what's the setting? You know, all those sorts of things. And then we go back and we develop the list from there based on their academic profile that they're offering as well as their interests. And then we look at, okay, this is the list of schools that we've come up with for you. You've visited these, you like these. Now we think about when is your best, your most optimal chance to be admitted. And then we look at when you apply. So it's not an automatic, you have to apply early decision. It's a, should I apply early decision? And if so, should I do ED1 or ED2? Or might I have my best chance a little bit later on. Now, the corollary to that, Ellen, is that you've got a student who says, uh, here's my list, and uh, I get colleges A, B, C, D, and E, etc. and college C is, <laughs> that's my favorite, but college A is the hardest to get into. Should I use my early decision to get in, to try to get into college A, because if I get in there, that's, that's, that's pretty cool, uh, or should I use my early decision with uh, my favorite school? Right, and, and the answer to that is, is simple, right? And right. you know it and I know the it, Peter. Is. The answer right. is you should apply to the school you like the most, whether that's a far reach, a reach, or a, a possible or likely school for you. Because just because the school is more selective in terms of admissibility does not mean it is the right school for you. It doesn't make it a better school because it's more selective. So it's really about fit. You have to think fit first. Let's say a student gets into a school like that and goes, but it's not a school they really wanted to go to. They're not going to be happy. It's not going to be a successful experience and they may end up transferring. I think that's probably a conversation for another day, but I think there's, there's some research that's beginning to reveal that there might be a slightly higher transfer rate among kids who had initially applied early decision to a school. Mm -hmm. um, Another question that, that I often hear, and I'm sure you do as well, uh, from students who are thinking about early decision, uh, they'll say, commitment, is that like a contract? I mean, what can they do to me if I, if I don't go? How do you respond to that? It is a contract. It is binding. And we sign off on it. Is it it's legal? Actually, 
Uh, well, you know what? I don't know, but I will tell you this. It's part of our honor policy, right? right? And so as is the whole college process. So students are expected to do their own work at Hill and that includes the work of the college process. And so when they enter into that agreement, it is a binding agreement. The only out you have is if a school has said it would meet your demonstrated need for financial aid and they do not for some reason, but that happens very rarely, especially these days when, when there are ways to sort of predict that a little bit better. But I will tell you, I have seen instances, not many, where students have tried to break an early decision contract and, and the colleges talk to each other and they will let each other know that. And that can be very difficult. A few schools ago, when I was at a different school, I had a student who broke the contract and we didn't get a student into that institution for the next two years. So you're not just hurting potentially yourself at other schools, but you're hurting friends and students who are coming after you at your high school. Well, I mean, it's, it's true. And I, I talk, the colleges can't do anything to you if you break that contract, but what, what you, how you affect the process is through your legacy at your own high school. Because as you suggested earlier, the student signs the agreement, the parents signed it, and then you sign the agreement to counselor uh, saying, we all get it. We understand what's going on. So I'm not surprised that that institution would say, if a student has broken the contract, you know, we can't trust the school because they, they, they yes. don't get it. So that's really how things shake out with early decision. Now, you, you talked about round one and talk about round two. Theoretically, or at least according to the rules of early decision, you can only apply early decision to one school. Yet with round two, you can you can still apply to a second school early decision. Correct me if I'm wrong. If your first early decision application fails, either you are denied or deferred. So if you are deferred from the early early decision one round, that releases you from the binding commitment, right? And so that can be that can be almost the most difficult piece of the process for students. I've found that they they apply early decision one, mm -hmm. and they're deferred. And knowing that early decision two, at perhaps a slightly less selective school, could be a good option for them. It does mean that they give up on that ED1 if they're admitted to the ED2, that they are no longer allowed to keep that school in the mix, even if accepted. So that can often be part of the process that's challenging for students to say, wow, I really dreamed about ED1 school and they deferred me. Do I ride this out and take a chance or do I put myself in an ED2 pool? Now I will say, again, I think that you have to think about, would I be equally happy at the ED2 school as I am the ED1? That's where you also work with your college counselor and say, specific to my ED1 school, how many students do you think they defer? And then what percentage of those students do they take in the regular round? Because most colleges, if they defer a student from ED1 to the regular round, those are the students they look at first in the regular round. Those are the students that they will go to and say, because you applied ED1, and now we've seen a little bit more growth and we see what our class is shaping up to be in through the ED2 round, mm -hmm. we are going to honor the fact that you stuck with us sure. and offer you admission. There is one Ivy League institution that defers very few students, but then they offer about 80% of those students who they deferred in the regular round and they yield about 90% of those, yeah. that 80. So that's, that's a pretty big statistic.
we've, we've covered early decision pretty well. Now there's another early here, early action, uh, not to be confused with early decision. What are, the, what are the rules and expectations with regard to early action? So early action is also usually November 1, November 15 deadlines. Some schools push them to December. Some schools have an early action too, but you would apply early. You would with most schools here in December. There are some early action schools that won't notify you till the end of January, which is, is a little bit different, but it is non-binding. You have until May 1st to tell that school if accepted, if you will attend. You know, that's a great option for a lot of kids who might have some anxiety around the process and have a school on their list that we would consider a likely school for them to be admitted to, that they they more than meet the uh, criteria for admission and the school is offering them this this option to apply in a non-binding way, but to get an answer in December. For many students, if we think it's a likely school, that brings a lot of stress relief for them to say, okay, I know I'm in one school. It may not be where I end up, but it may be, but at least I know I have a great home that I'm happy with, and now I can sort of relax a little bit. Maybe some other schools are going to come off my list because I really like this one, Mm -hmm. and so it really can be um, helpful with, with taking some of the stress away, right? But I always say to students, just because you can does not mean you should. So early action, even though it's not binding, they are also basing their decision on your profile really through the junior year. So you've got to make sure that that early action school is one that you are either, we call it possible or likely, right? That it's a 50-50 chance that you kind of fit right in the, the middle range of their statistics for admission, or you fit above them, then that's a great early action school. But if an early action school is a reach school for you, you come back to that question, when am I going to look best in the pool? When am I putting my best foot forward? And if they're making the decision based on your profile through junior year, and it's a reach school for you to be admitted to, it may make tremendous sense to just wait and offer them more achievement in the senior year because there is no weight to an early action application like there is to an early decision one. My interpretation of early decision, early action is as follows, and correct me where you you see I'm wrong. I, I tend to see early decision as a situation where the admission officer says, well, if you were to apply regular decision, do we think we might admit you in regular decision? And if that's the case, then we'll take you early decision. Uh, they're, they're willing to bend a little bit in early decision. With early action, they're not as quick to give up spots because the yield on those spots is lower. They're saying, well, do we have reasonable optimism that you're going to be one of our very best candidates? And if so, we'll take you early action. Uh, if not, we'll defer or, or deny. Does that sound kind of... Uh, yeah, I think I, I do think that that is a is is a good way to look at things. You know, I think you also have to have to remember that in this day and age, having been through a lot of things as a country in the last few years, politically and 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 a pandemic, colleges I think are really looking at early decision, not just in terms of admissibility, but in terms of crafting a class. Right. So they're looking to enroll a diverse class. They're looking in all ways. They're looking to enroll a class that is going to really engage with and and improve 
and enhance and move their communities forward, right? And so that's where when you do early decision, even if you are the most qualified academic candidate, there's still a possibility that you can be deferred because they just wanna see how the rest of the class is gonna play out, right? They really wanna look at building the class. It's, it's enrollment management, it's not just admissions. It, it, and I'm glad you make that distinction because for many years in our professional experience, it was all admission. Uh, right. but, but I think this notion of enrollment management where institutions have to be cognizant of, of the implications of a given offer of admission, whether the student will come or not, that becomes a bigger deal. Now, I, I'm going to stir the pot here a little bit with early decision <laughs> and early action because these I, I heard you talk about deadlines and the deadlines are similar. What if we have a student who applies early decision and, and it's safe to assume that the student might also submit other applications, regular admission or even early action at the same time, because the assumption is if early decision works out, they withdraw those other applications. Mm -hmm. What happens if maybe one of those regular applications or early action applications generates real strong interest from that school, such that while the student is waiting to hear from the early decision application school, there's an, a, a preemptive offer that comes back from maybe an early action school that says, well, we're going to offer you a $20,000 scholarship if you, if you come to our place. And the family comes to you and says, what do we do? Because now we've got you know, $20,000 a year on the table from this one school, and, and we made a commitment to the other one. Can we break that commitment? Yeah, it's, I, it doesn't happen often, at least in my experience. Yep. What I have seen happen, the few times I've seen that happen, is that the student reaches out to the college and mm -hmm. says, I've changed my mind. And if a decision has not been rendered yet, then I've seen the college allow the students out of that, right? More often what we see is students apply somewhere and then they know, okay, well, I'm into that rolling admission or that early action school because I heard really early. So I'm gonna, I know I have a home. I'm gonna switch my early action application to an early decision one mm -hmm. at the same school. And so there are some schools that offer both early decision and early action, and they are a little kinder usually to their early decision candidates. And again, because of that weight that that carries. And so we have had students over the last few years who have applied a rolling admission school, which would mean a school where there's no set deadline but you apply and once they have all your materials that they require, they'll give you a decision within six weeks. If a student does that sort of mid to late September and then has a decision, you know, late October, even early November, and they've already submitted another early action application to a school, but that school also offers early decision. I've seen them quite a few times contact that school and say, could I please switch to early decision? And the school allows them to do that. So I've seen that a little bit more. Well, it's interesting. Having been in the trenches with admission, it was always a welcomed opportunity to switch somebody into early decision because we knew then right. that the student, when admitted, would come. And typically colleges have to admit a, a larger number of students to year one outside of early decision. When you go early decision, it's one-to-one. -one. So I'm not surprised by what you just described. Now, you, you talked about the rolling admission, and, and I, I'd like to just kind of tie a bow on that a little bit, too. When a student, uh, and there may be students who are looking largely at rolling admission schools, and, and maybe not so much of the, the highly selective deadline-driven mm -hmm. schools, 
they might be getting offers of admission in September, October, November. What's the enrollment expectation there? Do they have until May 1st to make that declaration? What happens if a school says, uh, we've accepted you, you have 30 days to send in an enrollment deposit? Well, they do technically have until May 1st, and this is where families have to read the fine print very carefully, right? They do technically have until May 1st, but what a lot of colleges do, which I struggle with, quite honestly, is that they say, you don't have to deposit until May 1st, but if the earlier you deposit, the better your housing will be your first year. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's a little tough. It's toughest for those families who can't afford to just put four or $500 down, right? You have to read the fine print and say, is that money refundable before May 1st? So if I put that deposit down now, but I decide to go somewhere else, is can I get that deposit back? Some schools do, some schools do not. You have to read the fine print and make sure that you are really aware of what the school's policy is before you put any money down. And the other thing to think about with rolling admission is that you know there are in, in particular a lot of big Southern universities that are rolling admission schools, but a lot of them also limit the number of out-of-state students that, is, that those public institutions can accept. So what you've got to dig in there is, okay, it might be easier for me to get in technically if I get my application in earlier, mm -hmm. but again, only if your profile is in that middle 50% of what they're looking for. So if you're applying to a, a flagship university in the South that um, is harder to get in for out-of-state students, the earlier might not necessarily be better based on your profile. So these are all sorts of moving pieces of the puzzle that you've got to put together and assemble before you decide when you're going to hit that button on submit, right? Well, absolutely. And, and I'm going to put another moving piece into that puzzle. Uh, for a lot of families, cost and affordability are factors. Mm -hmm. And yep. I would imagine that you every year have students in your office who present a, a strong list of colleges and you say, well, this makes sense. And they have a favorite. But the, the, at first, the unspoken conversation is it's going to be expensive, and then it becomes spoken. <laughs> can, can we go ahead and apply early decision if, if we're going to need financial aid? Or how do we know that we're going to be able to get the best opportunity financially if, if we commit to early decision? And in fact, the student applying early decision theoretically is taking herself out of the consideration for any kind of financial aid at any other institution at that point. So how do you advise that student? And that's a great question. And, you know, it, it's funny, 10 years ago, my advice would be very different than what I'm about to say today, right? So let me start with, you should always, always complete the net price calculator on school's website prior to agreeing to submit an early decision application, because the net price calculators will give you a pretty good idea of what your aid might look like at that school, not necessarily merit aid, but need-based aid, right? Um, so you can have that idea. And please, if families have those discussions, because if your child has their heart set on a school and you do the net price calculator, and no matter how much merit-based aid they might get, you just can't do it. Have that conversation with your child before they apply. Don't let them apply, be accepted, and then tell them you can't do it. You, there are ways to find that out now. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is that be aware of the financial forms. So the FAFSA goes live on October 1st. You can do a practice FAFSA, have that all lined up, ready to go. 
The sooner you get that FAFSA in, the better the financial aid package will be. So the closer you can file that to October 1st, the better. Also make sure your school doesn't have extra forms that they require, such as the CSS profile. That will take into account some mortgage things, other things that your the FAFSA does not. Some schools still require that. So make sure you're doing your due diligence now in terms of what you need to file this fall, because that will have an impact. Look at the school's websites in terms of scholarships that they offer, merit-based scholarships. There are some schools that will say, our early decision deadline is November 1st, but if you want to be considered for merit scholarship, you must apply by October 15th. And you've got, you miss that line, then you, you knock yourself out of the running for merit scholarships, right? Um, and then there are also, I find financial aid offices by and large are very, very nice people who are very welcoming of phone calls. And you can call and, and talk to them about any questions you might have. Admissions people are great resources for, you know, how do you, how do you look at financing people? Do you look at financial aid for a student differently in the early round than you would the regular? Those are great questions to ask of, a, of an admissions representative. I will say there are some states like depending on what, where you reside, New York, other states where there is state money and state scholarships that colleges are able to better use if you apply early. It used to be 10 years ago, I said, if you don't know that you could afford this, do not apply early decision. But I think those times have changed. And there's a lot of information out there ahead of time that you can get. But there's also phone calls you can make and questions you can ask before you put yourself in that early decision pool. But what we have been seeing over the last five years is students getting really well-funded, especially our high-needs students, who if they maybe also meet an institutional priority, right? And so that's a great question to ask. I've also seen a trend over the last three years. I've had four or five colleges who we send students to with an early decision one application, they, they apply ED1 and the college then contacts them or us and says, you are very admissible to us. However, we are going to give, be able to give you more financial aid if we switch your application to the early decision two round. It's given me pause, I will tell you, it makes me a little nervous. But every one of those schools has, has then admitted that student and funded them well in the ED2 round. So a good question as you're going on visits or you're interacting with college admissions people is asking about how do you do financial aid? What do you consider? Do you look at it differently in the early decision versus early action or ED1 versus ED2, et cetera, et cetera? Those are really good questions to be asking, but really make sure you do not miss a deadline for filing financial forms and that you are doing all that search ahead of time so that you're prepared. I think that's great advice. Early decision it can be a big deal. It can, can really secure the place at, at the dream school or the, the best fit school for the student. But families just have to remember that there can't be any contingent factors when you apply early decision. You've got to, right. as a, I like what you said, you need to sit down as a family, talk through everything that's going on here. Not, not just, to, is this your favorite school, but, but how comfortable are you with the campus? Uh, uh, it's, a, it, you know, it's an airplane flight away, is that okay? It's gonna cost this much, can we deal with this? Well, we're I think having all of the factors laid out for the conversation makes sense. And then, then the, 
one thing I say to students, I don't know how you feel about this, but I tell students don't apply early decision until you have visited the campus and had an immersive experience by that 24 hours on campus, et cetera. Yep. Now it's harder to do that now because of COVID, but, but still make that kind of investment in making sure that it, it feels good. And then I suggest try that with, the, with your second choice school. If you come home from the second choice school saying, well, I like this about college A and that about college B, maybe you're not ready to apply early decision to the first one because you really have to have a very strong feeling about that first college. This is just an exciting time for young people to be considering the next step in their future and getting it all lined up. And I, you talked at the outset about being organized and, and, and having a list. By the way, how many, how many colleges do you like to see on a list? But when do you start to cringe when you see lists? <laughs> well, it's funny you ask that. My, my, this is my sixth year at the Hill School, but my 31st as a counselor in independent schools in the Philadelphia area. And so I've, I've seen it range from, you know, students who in the early years would apply to maybe four. And mm-hmm. then when I got here to Hill at my first year, I had five or six students apply to 25, 26 colleges, yeah. which is just crazy, right? It's It yeah. does not increase your chances of getting in. And it, for a few reasons, number one, when they apply to that many, they're not applying to a lot of likely schools. They're applying to one likely school and then all reach. And so you're, you're not optimizing your chances, but you're also, you know, the, I think the top thing aside from the academic profile offering that colleges look for is really the authenticity in your application. How are you speaking to why they are fit for you and vice versa? So even if they don't offer, even if they don't track demonstrated interest, that question, you know, why this school in their supplements, that is their demonstrated interest question. And it used to be in the early days, you could, you could write one school cut and paste it into the other. That is so far gone. They really look for, that is a crucial question. They're looking for how well you am and why you think they're fit for you and vice versa. So in my second year at Hill, I actually established a limit on the number of applications that students can submit. They can submit 12, which to me is still a little little bit of a large number, but you know, we have students from 31 states and 32 countries and they apply all over the world. So, so 12 is, is pretty reasonable. One of those could be the University of California system, which has nine campuses. So technically you could apply to all nine campuses with one app. One of them could be the, the British system, the UCAS application, where you can apply to five colleges with one application, right? Most of our students do not do that. And I will tell you that when I established that policy, I had pushback from exactly four families. That was it. Uh, one mother did not like the fact that I wouldn't let her son apply to 30 colleges, but it was it was four families. And I actually had a lot of students and families say, thank you, because this helps us focus, right? You get 25 colleges, you're not focusing. And that shows in your application, there is no way any student could do 25 applications, treating each one as if they're your top choice. Because that's what you have to do. You treat each college, no matter how you apply, as if it is your top choice, right? And once you get past even 10, but 12 I'll live with, but past that, you're going to lose that authenticity that really can help you in the college process. I I think that's great advice. And and, and kids typically will start with a great deal of energy and enthusiasm for the maybe the, the top two to four schools on their list. And they put so much energy into that, that when they're done, usually by the end of October with those four, they kind of exhale and just wait to see what happens. And then (laughs) if nothing nothing good happens then they have to start all over again and and they've lost that 
that energy. So, Ellen, yeah. this has been great. Uh, there's there's just so much to consider as, as a young person is beginning the college application process, uh, whether it's the application, early decision, early action, et cetera, or, or re- applying regular admission. We could probably talk for another hour about this. But uh, as we wrap <laughs> up, uh, do, do you have any, any advice that you, you'd offer the student who is uh, starting to turn her focus on, on that application process? This is the, the big yeah. year. Uh, but just, and then you've been given lots of good nuggets along the way, but anything else you'd like to add to, for that student to get from point A to point B this year? I, I think as every student approaches their process, they should ask the question, what do I want to show them? Because until the moment that you hit submit, the college process is about you as a student. You have this opportunity to speak to who you are, to what you have done, to how you have done it, to why you have done it and it's important to you. And why then all those things are things you want to offer to this next school and why you think that they are the best school to possibly bring all of this greatness out in you to a greater extent or a farther extent, right? So if you put the cart before the horse and try to think, what does the college wanna see? What What answers do they want? you lose that authenticity, you lose that focus on yourself and you will lose the opportunity to to be admitted to that school. What they are looking for is to know you. You don't have to have a perfect record. Colleges don't wanna admit kids who are perfect because when you get there, what are they gonna do with you? They have nothing to teach you, right? And none of us are perfect. What they're looking for is to get to know you. So it's okay to think about yourself, to celebrate yourself, to be yourself, because that genuineness is what's going to help you make the best fit for a college experience. So just be okay with putting yourself first till the moment you hit submit. And then when you look back, you can say, maybe I didn't get in, but I did my best. And I'm really proud of myself for doing that. I love it. So often we caution young people not to be so self-centered, but this is one instance in their life. <laughs> they need to be very self-centered. Yes. It needs to be yes. about them. Ellen, this is wonderful. I, I really appreciate your time with us today and helping us to understand better how students can approach the, the admission process and, and toward, toward finding the kind of outcomes that they would like to have. Because truly, if, if, they're, if they're focused, if they're focusing on fit, if they're organized, they'll find the outcomes that they so richly deserve in this process. And yes, the kids are lucky to have folks like you uh, advising them in, in the process. So thank you so much. And well, thank you, Peter. Yeah, for those who are listening, I hope this has been a helpful uh, exercise in, in understanding more about the college admission process. Uh, until the next time, I, I wish you all the best in terms of health and, and safety. Have a great day, everybody. A special thanks to Peter Van Buskirk for joining us in this conversation today. If you want to hear more from Peter, you can find his content in the blog section of our website and on YouTube where his webinars and presentations are hosted. If you want to learn more about SCORE, go to SCORE.com. That's S-C-O-I-R.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at SCORE Inc. That concludes our conversation today. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this episode. Thanks so much for listening.